Woo! All right. What an introduction. What an intro. Listen, it's so wild to hear him say, friends of over the last 20 years. I was thinking, like, holy moly, we are old. Like, that's how it happens, just so quick. I remember the first time that I met uh, Pastor Chris was in college. I was told that I either needed four semesters of Spanish or two semesters of Swahili. And I was like, well, that's not a question. I'll take Swahili. And so first class, I go in, sit down, and we're going to do a little exercise. I didn't plan this, but I'm going to let you do it with me. This is exactly how it went. We all grab a seat. I happen to be sitting beside Chris. The teacher comes up, and she says, Nina Pinda. Everybody say that. Nina Pinda. Nina Pinda. Kupanda. Kupanda. Punda. And so we're like saying it over and over, getting it like, okay, I've okay. heard this word for 20 years. And I I'm thinking, well, it's, I'm, it's, I'm fluent. <laughs> That's the deal. And so I'm thinking like, this is going to be like, hello, welcome. How are you? We practice it over and over again, dying to know what it means. And then she says, I like to climb a donkey. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world? What did we just learn? That is all he learned. So that's that was the, learned. no, who Jumbo, see Jumbo, <laughs> Habari Ghani. <laughs> I can say like five things, okay, and red, but other than that, that's all I got. <laughs> Pastor Chris, friends for over decades, man, can you uh, just join me in honoring him and letting yeah, him know we, we love miss you, him, Chris. we love him, we're praying for him, and uh, just think it is to God and his sovereignty that we had hoped to be here, get to hang out with Chris and Jenny, and just celebrate all God's done, what he's doing in this season, and get to share our story, and so just the goodness of God, hate that he got sick, but just glad that we were able to be here and uh, stand in for him. And the, the lesson there is that it takes two Walters to fill in for one Causey. Oh, and we're so still going to be a poor man's Causey. <laughs> Make no mistake, but we'll try. I was telling the women last night, we had a women's event last night. Yes, it's so awesome. If you see them walking around in beautiful skirts. I'll tell you, well, actually, these are, it's called Francis and Benedict. It's a ministry out of Togo, West Africa. And you encounter church, actually, because of your generosity, you've given to Francis and Benedict Avoy are two real people in Togo, West Africa. And they have three children. And we sell these skirts, use the profits to empower them out of poverty for things like education, nutrition, housing. Well, we didn't have Grace. Their daughter got into the most incredible pharmacy school um, to become a pharmacist. And so we started raising money for her college at the start of the year. And you guys at Encounter have helped finish paying for her second semester because of your generosity. So give yourselves a round of applause for that. And thank yeah. you, Pastor Chris, for having us and just seeding into that and all the women here. But I was telling the women last night, I was like, so when we first met Pastor Chris, it was the first time this is you know, embarrassing to say, but that I realized people had different levels of intelligence. You know, I kind of always thought like, you know, if I wanted to be valedictorian, I could have. I just didn't apply myself. You know, did anybody else think that in high school? Like, surely I'm as smart as everybody else. And then we met Chris in our first college history class. And I, I remember watching him like kind of casually take it all in have way more depth of knowledge and insight of world history than the professor, get hundreds on tests that we would study hours for. And I was like... That's not true. You didn't study. I didn't study that much. Josh did more. But still... I was one of those have to read, underline, highlight, make flashcards, and still get an 80. You know? Yeah. I would just be engaged in the moment. Chris was neither one of those things. He was no. just kind of like, yeah, I already know all this. <laughs> and then he would literally ace it. So he's truly one of the most brilliant people we've ever known for 20 years. And then when you met Jenny, I was like, of course, you'd marry the most grounded, wise 
incredible woman. <laughs> so we do That's love fun. them so much and just so grateful to be here with you guys this morning and get yep. to share. So we're going to share our story, but before we get into that, there's two passages that I want to share with you that I feel like frame up what I believe God wants to do here this week, and the first of which is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Can you say all our troubles? All our troubles, all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. From God, The reality of life is that we're all going to walk through troubles, and, and your story and circumstances might not look anything like what we walked through, but what I'm believing God wants to do today is, is supernaturally give you the comfort that he gave us. We're going to share some of the principles that he spoke to us, some of the work that he did in us in that season, and we just believe it's going to bear fruit in your life and relationships. And the second comes from Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, which says this, and they overcame him, talking about the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their life even when faced with death. So there was victory for believers that was available to them because of the blood of the lamb, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and the word of their testimony. And so the story we're going to share is one that was almost 15 years ago now that we've been able to live in, learn from, walk out, and meet with other couples about. It brought about victory in our life, and we're believing that in some way it can bring about victory in yours for anything that you might face or, uh, or are walking through now. So why don't you pray for us? Yeah, Let's I'll pray, pray for as Pastor we get started. And, you know, this morning, just that verse that you just said as I was praying for this time, and you guys, all of a sudden, what jumped out at me at that verse was they didn't love their life even when faced with death. And I don't know what the pain point in your life is this morning or the things God has taken you through, but I know any testimony of stuff that he's brought you through has felt like that. It's felt like sometimes even a point of death. And I think the struggles that we're sharing this morning, he's brought us so much victory. It can sometimes not even feel like our story, but it felt like that in the moment to even the point of death. And so just for us to, to realize that He's going to take us through more things, you know, as he's brought us to this point this morning that we can remember that he's going to bring us through those places of pain, even when they feel, you know, like the point of death. So let's just pray this morning. God, we love you. We are all here to meet with you. We're all here because we need you to, to move among us, your Holy Spirit's power to actually shift something in our lives. Father, I thank you for each and every person that have come here to draw close to you, and, and I know that you're going to refresh them um, in a way that is specific to them. So, God, we open up our hearts. We tell you that we're ready, we're expectant um, for the word that you have for us this morning. Thank you for paying um, the cost of our sin with your son. We love you, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, one question for you as we get started. How many of you, either individually or as a couple, have a song? You'd say, like, this is our song, that is my jam. Okay, when Katie and I got married, there's like five people that do. So for the rest of you, I'm just going <laughs> to believe that you do, but you didn't raise your hand. When we got married, our song was by this guy named Ed Cash, and it was called Marry Me. And it starts off, I knew the moment I first saw you. Our love was meant to be. So, like, when we heard it come on, man, like, I can go in my head back to the wedding day, the memories, the vibes that, you know, when we, when we made that our song. Well, about, I guess it was eight years, maybe seven years ago, Katie, uh, I come home from work one day, 
She's like, hey, we got a new song. And I was like, oh, oh, we do. I do tell. I can't wait to hear. And so she sits me down. She brings it up on her phone. She pushes play. And it was the song is called Thinking Out Loud. Come on. Any and Ed Sheeran house Ed Sheeran. So sweet song. The, the, I mean, the there's chorus, nothing wrong about that song. Still, seven years later. The chorus of the song says, baby, I, I won't make you listen to my singing again. This does have a little bit of the worship leader anointing on it, though, so I kind of want to. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> baby, I will be loving you till we're 70. And the song is about, like, growing old together. Hands don't work like they used to. Your body's falling apart. But, girl, I'm going to love you, like, till we get old and finish this thing together. It's a really sweet song. But we finished listening to it, and I was just super disappointed. I was like, this, this is our song. Like, lifelong marriage, and you're saying you're out at 71? He's like, what happens at 71? I was like, why you got to be analytical? I mean, any other couples, like, you're feeling the song, emotional, and then the person's like, I mean, I, I feel that it says 70. You know? <laughs> I'm saying, like, you put a number on it. It's like, I'm going to be the most unattractive I've ever been in my life, and you're going to bail. I'm going to have to find somebody. Like, I don't know that this can be. It's like, I'm too tired to be wife shopping at 70. And I was like, okay, you've missed the point of the song. <laughs> so anyway, it gave us a vision for what it would look like for That's us right. to finish strong. And for most of our marriage and life, vision had been a value. You know, it's something you hear people talk about, especially in a relationship. Where are we going? Who are we becoming? But it wasn't a value that re- we really walked out well in our relationship. Yeah, and we all know that, you know, the word tells us that without vision, people perish, perish, that vision is so important. Habakkuk says, write down the vision, make it plain in sight so the people can run. But oftentimes, I don't know about y'all, but in marriage, you know, the story that we're sharing today happened to us about year seven. And I, I especially had no vision for endurance to get through these really rough places. And so now we're at this, when I brought him this song, we were about to have our 13th wedding anniversary. And just everything in me knew God had taken us through so much, but I was like, I got to have a vision of what this thing looks like, you know, when we get to the end. And songs like that just helped me of like, gosh, we're going to still be in love in at 70. And so it was our 13th wedding anniversary. So I said, this is our new song and here's our vision. And also this is the year of the tattoo. And he was like, okay, that's not a thing. I was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's our thing now. It's a, it, we're 13th anniversary. She's declaring all these new things. I was like, it's the year of the tattoo. Like, and I was like, my name needs to be somewhere on your body this year. I don't know. I just, I feel that in my spirit that this is what God is saying. Yeah. <laughs> this was real time. Right? I was like, babe, there's a reason happening. hotels don't have like a 13th floor. I don't know what it is about 13. We don't need to be doing all this new Stuff. So she declares it the year of the tattoo. And so what we did was thought, okay, if we're going to cultivate a vision for finishing together, then part of that is we, we know we're going to have grandkids. Katie and I have seven kids, which we didn't show that picture, yeah, by the we've way. Been we've got a family picture, picture. of our family. There you go. Family we've, picture. We, we've been gone three days. We forgot about them already. I'm there just you kidding. Go. <laughs> There's yeah, all really 13 of them. But um, You may be thinking, no, really, where are they right now? You don't want to know. They're all, it's, it's a yeah. scattering. Seven of them, they range from 1 to 18, and all of their names start with A, Anna J, Abigail, Abel, Asher, Ari, Anthem, and Adele, and so we call Don't ask him their birthdays, because he does not know. I don't recall birthdays. (laughs) I know a few of their social security numbers 
our checking account numbers, but I can't remember birthdays. I have capacity somewhere. Well, anyway, the year of the tattoo, that's our family. Yeah. And um, the year of the tattoo, she said, you're going to get your, my name somewhere on your body. I thought, okay, if we're going to finish strong, uh, we need to have grandparent names. Like, it's crazy to think we got married at 20 and 21. We have an 18-year-old. Like, we were pregnant at 21 in three years, four years. We could have, like, grandkids. And our parents stumbled into these grandparent names that just are not very flattering. Uh, like, Peepaw. Kiki, which is pronounced doo-doo not by them when they're toddlers. Poppy. Yeah, and so it's just like, I do not want <laughs> like, we gotta that to sure be my this story. we got up. a lot of grandkids coming our way for some bad name like that. And so I decided that I would be Bear and Katie would be Ruby. She's always kind of been called Ruby, been a nickname. Right. I love that Keith thinks he decided that. Oh, I didn't decide it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so after she told me what our grandparent names would be, (laughs) that's what we got tattooed on our ring finger. So I've got Ruby on mine and Katie has Bear on We were never intending to not wear rings, but, you know, seven children later. Yeah. It doesn't fit. People kind of know. It worked out well to have a tattoo. (laughs) Which Bear and Ruby are kind of cool until you're in a small group with friends, one of which is named Bear and your wife has another man's name. Tattooed on her that ring did, finger. That did happen one time. It's not awkward at yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, your name's Bear? Okay. That's weird. <laughs> Shake with the right hand. All right. So oh Katie gosh. and I met our, our freshman year of college. And, and I would say for us, even now, every home we've ever lived in, our, our life verse has been John 10.10, which says, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And the second half of that verse had been really our focus. Like, who doesn't want life and have it more abundantly? And in meeting one another, I feel like that was what we were experiencing together uh, on mission in college. We both accept, I accepted Christ my junior year of high school. Katie, her freshman year of college, we had both kind of grown up in the church, but didn't have a relationship with Jesus. So that freshman year of college was really both of us leaving our family's home, taking ownership of our faith for the first time. So we would stay up all night at IHOP, sharing, you know, doing Bible studies, sharing our faith with people, seeing folks come to Christ. We were young life leaders, just totally believed that God was going to use us to help advance his kingdom and reach people passionate about the Lord and focused on the second half of that verse. And our story is one of realizing that the first half of that verse is a reality, that we have an enemy. And his, his intent is not to inconvenience you or to make your life better than it could be or to bring about conflict or trouble in your life, marriage, or relationships. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And that was nearly what we learned in our story. Uh, Katie and I, when I, I started at College of Charleston, came back to USC. My dad got sick, so I moved back home. And all my buddies started saying, hey, you got to meet this girl, Katie, but don't date her, man. Like, she'll break your heart. I was like, really? Like, why? And they were like, well, she would go out on dates with people and ask them about their relationship with God, their prayer life, their church involvement. And if it was crickets or nothing's there, like, she would straight up end the date. Like, leave the dude at the table with his spaghetti. And I was like, I got to meet that girl. Like, Not like up here in the South, we got a lot of fake Christians, you know what I'm saying? And I didn't know that was a thing yeah. until you start going on dates with them and they're like... Jesus, Bible, like you actually do that? Yeah, and so so I'm like, if you leave a dude with his spaghetti and like get a ride home, that's for real. You know, I was like, I got it. That's hot is what that is. I need to meet that girl (laughs) because I was for real about the Lord. So 
we meet each other, and I went home and told my roommate that day, I was like, bro, I'm going to marry that girl. And I met her, and, and at the time, we, nobody had cell phones, but I did have a beeper. And so I gave her my beeper number. I was like, Pager, hey, like he was a doctor, me. but he Page was 19. <laughs> <laughs> I might be in for a procedure. You know? Here's my beeper number. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then I'll pull over and call you on a landline. <laughs> Whatever. And so I, I tell my roommate, I'm going to marry this girl. He's like, you're crazy, man. Whatever. And, and I just sensed it in my heart. And I was not that dude. I wasn't dating girls. I was loving college, going after God, but just knew that there was something there. So we go out on a date. And uh, I knew the game-changing question was about kids. I grew up, uh, some of my best friends up the street were one of seven, and I, I have a sister, but I just wanted, I knew seven kids was the number. The house always felt like a party, always enough boys for a pickup game of basketball, tons of food in the pantry, a girl to flirt with. It felt like heaven up the road. And I was like, I just want our kids to experience this fun part. So we go out on a date. I'm like, all right, the question, how many kids do you have? Don't say it but not have. Do you want to have? <laughs> I hope you didn't have any kids. So I said, I'm going to count to three and just say how many kids you want to have. I counted to three, one, two, three, and we both said seven. And I was like, okay, this is it. <laughs> Let's go ahead and do it, right? So, so that, that was kind of the start. We get married our senior year and uh, start in ministry. Katie got pregnant three or four months after we got married, and we were both going to be school teachers. And uh, Thought we'd spend our summers overseas doing global missions and, you know, just had a clear vision for life. And then all of a sudden, we're married, pregnant, serving in a church, and the youth pastor leaves. And they were like, hey, how would you feel about coming to work here? And I was like, well, you know, probably important to have insurance and income now that we have a child coming. So I'll do that for a year, go back. Well, in that year, I figured out, like, man, this is all I really want to do with my life. And about that time, a buddy, Chris Causey, calls me and says, hey, I just interviewed for your job across town. I was like, what? You know, do explain. He was like, man, I was interviewing for this job, and the whole time I was just thinking about you. I call him. Turns out God was in it. We end up serving there. And our first uh, Sunday there, Katie and I got in the car and cried, just realizing that, like, man, this was going to be a tough season for us relationally. Because as much as I loved kind of the spirit of the church and the way they approached ministry, the average couple there was in their 40s. Their kids were in middle school, and we were 20 and 21, and just realized, like, man, relationally, it's going to be a pretty isolating season for us. And so over time, we start, you know, like, Katie was getting her master's. I was getting my master's in seminary. We started having kids. I love rental properties and, like, fixing up homes while we live in it. We've moved 15 times in our 20 years of marriage just because I'll renovate a house while we live in it, would rent it out or sell it and kind of move on to the, to the next one. And so we were doing that then, serving in ministry full-time. We had effectively, like, burned up any bit of margin we had in our life, all the while just passionately going after God. And I didn't feel it or, or know what was happening necessarily. I thought what we were feeling were the normal struggles of life and, and adulting. We were still going on date nights, still, like, enjoying one another, but having a hard time figuring out like how to manage all the details of life and really be on the same page. Well, after a couple years at this church, this couple our age um, started attending the church, and we just locked on to them because it was like, oh, dear God, thank you. Someone relatively normal that's also kind of our, our age. Well, it turned out over time that instead of us impacting this couple uh, that was fairly new to the faith, they ended up impacting us a lot more. 
Yeah, you know, looking back over that seven years, you know, we had moved out to the other church where we were serving and a relationship that was so um, passionate and empowered by the Holy Spirit and had vision, I don't think we realized how much that is going to come under attack. And so I love this series that you guys have been in of the love dates and heartbreaks because the truth is... Series they've been in that we are kicking off yeah, today. We're in now. We're in <laughs> the it together. The series you've been in for 10 minutes. That we're a part of together. <laughs> but I do because the, the truth is in any healthy relationship, whether this is someone you're dating or you are married to or have been married to for 20 years, 50 years, you know, the truth is when that is grounded on Christ, there is a target on it. There's a target on that relationship where he wants to still kill and destroy. And 1 Peter 5 eight, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so I realize now, looking back, you know, this couple, we had, we, like he said, we were isolated. We really had no community. It's, a, it's not a great thing to always be the strongest believers that you know in any space. You know, we were talking about this last night in the women's group that it's, it's vulnerable and humble to attach, your, attach yourself to people that are farther ahead of you, that are wiser than you. But those are who God wants us to draw close to so that we can help get where he has for us to go. And so in this relationship with this couple over time when we say they started to we started to look more like them it was slowly things like we would start drinking together more you know then we would start um, having relationships with each other that just wasn't boundaries wasn't appropriate would start texting each other and so over time I look back now knowing that what was happening over the past year or so was what I would call an emotional affair But during this time, like I said, I really kept pushing boundaries, pushing boundaries, not thinking it was wrong until I knew. And I had that point of conviction. But I had worked that muscle of pushing past that for so long that I think I was willing to actually push that down, you know, and not listen to the spirit. And so when we look back on that time, we realize that, you know, this this continued just to progress, and it was progressing in my own mind, in my own heart. It was causing more and more of a divide from each other. And, you know, we've walked with so many couples over the past 15 years since this time who have felt so similar to the feelings that we were feeling in that moment and not realizing that if there was anything hidden, any sin that they weren't confessing, they, your real, judgment is really clouded about the health of the actual relationship. Because what's starting to come between you is the same thing that starts to come between us and God. It's just the sin, the shame that the enemy wants to taunt us with. So this continued to progress. I'm pregnant now with our third child, Abel, who's about to turn 14. And um, I'll never forget one night I ended up just being full of this this place of shame and ended up going to a simulcast that Beth Moore was teaching at. And I'm watching it over a screen, and she looks out and in the camera, and she just simply said, there is a girl in this audience that is in a pit so deep that she doesn't think she can ever get out of it. And I just started bawling because that's how I felt. I felt like I was in a pit so deep. I didn't know where to start confessing to him how much sin had been in my heart, in my mind, how much of my heart I had given away, how much I thought I was about to ruin our life, someone else's life. I'm just sobbing. And I remember thinking, God, that's me. I don't know if you can, if you're even strong enough to get me out of this pit. And sure enough, I came home that night and in God's sovereignty, 
the couple lived across the street from us, and the wife came over to our house that night, and she's just crying. And she said, something's wrong with my marriage. I don't think he loves me anymore. Something's wrong. And for the first time, you know, those blinders had fallen from me where I knew I'm about to really hurt somebody else and ourselves. So she goes to leave that night, and I said the first little bit of confession to Josh, which honestly oftentimes is all God needs for us to start to come into the light. And I said to him, what, what if it's me? What if it's me? And at this point, I mean, he has no clue, you know, what is happening, but things start, he starts to see, you know, what could be. And that night, what I thought would be a very simple, quiet confession on our couch, also, I would say this in God's grace, became a lot bigger than that. You know, Josh ended up going to the church. They asked him not to, to preach his last sermon, not to come back, me not to come back into the church. Um, and it led to a really painful season for us that started there in Columbia, not being able to come back into the church, having to get counseling, um, and continued on, honestly, even after we got to, to Charleston. It was a painful time of trying to you know, seek God and stay, but also save, you know, what almost had been destroyed in our marriage. So what we want to share is just in that season, you can imagine, you know, even that night her saying, hey, what if it's me, gave way to what had to look like a WrestleMania scene in our front yard, screaming matches with the neighbor, not knowing a tenth of like what all was involved, but just knowing there had been something Mm. we were both in the dark about. And so, Fortunately, now looking back, there could have been so much pain or bitterness, like even spiritually within how the church responded to us by, you know, pretty much like kicking us out. But I look back now and see like, man, had they not, I'm so loyal. I don't know that I would have been able to lead us elsewhere, like to go and find health and and healing. And so the principles we're going to share are the really some of the, the kind of like God moments, Kairos moments. There's two words for time. In scripture, one is chronos, like linear time, and then one's kairos, where like heaven busts into your your world. And Mm -hmm. each of these points, I would say, are kairos moments for us, like God moments, where we distinctly heard his voice, encountered him in some way. And this is the encouragement that I think will apply to your marriage, apply to your personal life, as you kind of look at at each of them through that filter. But the first of four, so four lessons on building a relationship that will last. The first point is that blessing follows obedience. Blessing follows obedience. So when all of this came into the light, Katie and I <clears throat> quickly realized that, like, okay, in addition to leaving the church, that was kind of a deal because that was also our source of income. It was like, I need to find a job, but I don't want to do it here. Like, I can't drive these roads, see these places, think about the deception that I've been in. And so we've always talked about moving to Charleston, and so that kind of became the, the dream. Like, let's, let's go to Charleston have a fresh start. Well, in that time, we prayed, okay, God, one of us is going to need a job. Katie applies for a job. At the time, she's an elementary school guidance counselor, and the only position open mid-school year, it was December, was at a detention center where once uh, teenagers are arrested before they're convicted, the state's still responsible for their education. So she went from sitting with crying kindergartner moms to arrested teenagers that haven't been convicted yet, but she was the first to, to get a job. And so that opened the door to allow us to move and start fresh. And in that season, uh, I had hope 
because we had left town. We were trying to work to start over. But Katie was still very much in a place where part of us learning to reestablish trust was her being real with her feelings. And so she would still say things like, I don't know that I love you anymore. Uh, she found journals that we had written each other in college with ridiculous pet names that I'm still embarrassed we ever said. Like she would call me Bushki. I don't even know what that is or where that came from. Snooky Boo Boo. <laughs> Snooky. What in the world is that? <laughs> Sounds like a Jersey name. I don't know. Hey, Snooky. <laughs> you know? All anyway, all kind of weird. She was like, do you still feel this way about me? Because I just don't feel this way about you. And so in that season, we moved and literally we're in a new town. Uh, I couldn't get out and apply for jobs or network because I'm home with our three kids feeling super alone and isolated, thinking like, God, what are you going to do? And so in that season, I lived for nine o'clock and one o'clock when our kids would have a short morning rest and then an afternoon rest. And I would bury, why is that funny? It's not a thing. Like kids really don't usually take two naps. Well, they did for me. So I I would always come home and be like, two naps? Like, I don't, I don't really think yes, the morning yes. and the afternoon. Because like my, <laughs> mind, my mind in that season like could so quickly go dark. I would start envisioning scenes in my mind that I don't even know were real or not, or the negativity, the pain, the loneliness. When I'm stuck at home in a new city, even while we're trying to rebuild, I could quickly go dark. And so it was in that season that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her became a mission statement for me. Where very practically, in very real ways, it was like, okay, he died for me. What does it look like for me today to die to myself to love her? And so she would come home from work, and I would have cheese plates set up with, like, cheese and hearts with crackers in the middle and, like, a glass of wine. I'm, like, rubbing her feet. She legit doesn't want anything to do with me at that point. But I'm, I'm just, in all the ways, you know, doing everything that I can to love, serve, and and pour myself out for her. But in that season where I was nine o'clock and one o'clock, like in his presence, reading his word, journaling, it was there that verses like Joshua 1.8, it says, do not let this book of the law depart from your life. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Prosperous and successful, new life was what I desired in our marriage. And so in that season, it was one of the first times in my life, even though I had been in ministry and been a pastor, where his word became substance for me. It was the only thing I knew that this was the first time I was in a mess so big, a problem so bad that I couldn't fix it. I couldn't flip a switch in her heart to change her feelings for me, but I knew God could do it. I couldn't make enough cheese plates or clean the house enough that she would say, you know what? I think I will stick around. Like, I'll feel different. Like, there was nothing I could do. And so I clung to him and his word, believing that as I did that, that blessing would follow obedience, that then I would be prosperous and successful when I clung to his word, when I willingly poured myself out to love, care, and serve Katie. Yeah, and you know, blessing follows obedience. This is a principle I think we can all see in different areas of life. Like I know in work, there's going to be days that are going to be hard, but blessing will follow that obedience of doing what I'm supposed to do. You know, anybody who physically works out, like I know blessing will follow the obedience of doing, persevering through. But I really don't think our culture prepares us 
for the fact that blessing can follow obedience in our relationships, in every relationship, that we are planting things into it, and that there's going to be seasons where we don't see the fruit of that planting. There's going to be real seasons. If we're really going to endure this thing for a lifetime together, there's going to be seasons of heartbreak. There's going to be seasons of betrayal. There's going to be seasons of sickness, of illness, and it just it makes me tender thinking about that time because he continued to be obedient, to love me, to serve me, to be faithful, trusting God for what was going to come, even though I was giving nothing back in this moment. And that's how relationships can feel sometimes that you're called to, that you're called to continually be obedient. And, you know, for me during this time, obedience did not look like anything you would want to, you know, write about. It didn't look very inspiring. I simply told God, God, I feel nothing for him anymore. I wasn't fully aware enough to know that that was because of my sin in a lot of ways. I really just thought we had lost love. And I didn't know how that would ever come back. When I brought him those journals, I I just didn't know that I would ever feel that way again. I thought maybe I'll end this thing with like a pal. You know, I'll do what God said and we'll be like chums. I could have never imagined that he would restore the most incredible, wonderful love and and all the feelings that God is the author of those emotions, you know. But during this time, the obedience for me was just like, God, you can have my feet. That's what I would tell him. God, you can have my feet. I won't leave this house. I won't leave this marriage. I won't leave my family because I, I need to tell you my flesh really wanted that. There was a lot in my flesh that wanted to run at this point. Some of it was I wanted to run from my own shame and my own guilt. I wanted to run from having to face myself, you know, face any problems that we had. But I would say, God, you can have my feet. And so just to encourage you this morning, wherever you find yourself, whatever pain point, and again, just like Josh said, you know, we comfort others with the comfort we've received. And most of you, maybe none of you in this room have walked this specific path. But I know you have walked paths that feel painful even to the point of death. And if you can trust him, that blessing will follow the obedience. Whatever he's calling you to do, he will be faithful. When we're not faithful, he will be so faithful to you. And to give you a picture of like emotionally for me in that season, it's not like, uh, you know, envision yourself walking through like the darkest, loneliest season path you could imagine. Like, all right, we'll just have a quiet time at 9 o'clock and 1 o'clock and watch God move. You know, there was so much crying and, and stress and anger. I remember, like, being so broken that I would lay in bed at night and I would have to sleep with, with AirPods and listening to worship music because the narrative in my mind was so painful for me. I would wake up and it was like the movie was on. It never turned off. And I'd wake up to find myself crying or I'd wake up and my ears were throbbing because I fell asleep on an AirPod, but I needed that worship music just to help me go to sleep because my inner... There were actually no AirPods at this time, so I Don't think that's important. Don't you call them AirPods, though? The little ones with the Air string? AirBuds. AirBuds. Yours has <laughs> I had some bud before I went to bed. That doesn't sound we any We always got to help okay. the teenagers realize, <laughs> you know, we've carried good. some things in our <laughs> right. life, like cords. So, all that to say, <laughs> brutally... Bitterly painful. It's not like obedience was all a joy because it was rooted in fear and anxiety and insecurity and terror of losing the things that mattered most. But I I was doing the work of fighting against the narrative inside of me, the pain inside of me, to really trust God with all of my, uh, you know, desired outcomes and feelings. So the first 
big lesson for us is that blessing follows obedience. All right, and the second one is that God is love. So there were two kind of major markers for me along the journey, and they were both some of my lowest moments. And the first one is almost going to sound dramatic when I tell you about it, but it was that low of a time. So I had started to confess Josh to Josh more and more about how deep my heart had been gone from him and telling him things like that I remember this time that I was dressing for him and just details that I knew I was supposed to confess and get out, but they were really painful. And we were staying at my mom's house one night in Charleston, and I'll never forget, Josh had found out things that was the first night, the only night in this whole story where he didn't sleep in the same bed as me. He was just too heartbroken over what he had heard. And when I went to bed that night upstairs, I just remember thinking, sitting in my shame. And the shame was so intense. I don't know if any of you have ever had the enemy in your ear just whispering shame and guilt over you, your accuser who wants our death. But I remember I got up in the dark of the night, went downstairs to my mom's kitchen and grabbed a knife and came back upstairs into the bed. And I had my Bible sitting on the nightstand and I also had this knife. And it felt honestly like a real choice, a real choice of like, I don't even want to to deal with me anymore. Surely God doesn't want to. And I remember laying there in the bed, I just grabbed my Bible, and it was in that moment that I started to hear the voice of God. He started to say, Katie, I love you, and I have plans for your life. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I knew this day was going to come even before you knew this day was going to come, and I still love you. And In that moment, I could not believe that the God who made the heavens was talking to me and loved me, and I felt it. I felt his love, and it just started to throw off the enemy's shame, and that moment changed me forever because while I realized in, you know, I had loved God and and loved serving him, but I realized in that moment that he was kinder than any Christian I had ever known. He was more loving than I could have ever fathomed. That on my worst day, he loved me more deeply than I would ever know. And he he would never love me anymore, and he would never love me any less. And in that day, realizing that he was love, that that is the kind of God who created us and loves us, it, it changed me. It truly changed me because I stopped having to search for approval, to think about others, to try to find all these things outside of him and his love. And then, and then the second thing that happened was several months after this, we were back packing up our house in Charleston. And that's when I had brought Josh all the journals and everything, telling him, like, I don't feel this way anymore. How am I going to feel this way again? Surely God doesn't just want us to stick this thing out with no emotion And I'll never forget, Josh looked at me that night, and he said, Katie, what I'm asking you to do is to go to a deeper place of love with me. I'm asking you to go to a deeper place, somewhere you haven't been yet. And it was the first time that I had this vision of like, oh, my gosh, I don't don't know what this this deeper love is. I've never, I've never been there before. I don't know what it is. All I know is what cultures told me about love, all these things that have filled my mind. Like, there is something new. And, and just like I didn't know about that deeper place of love with God, I didn't know about that deeper place of love for us. And so 
just to remind you this morning, as I constantly remind myself that God is love. He is the author of it. He is the one who, out of his great love for us, sent his son, paid the ultimate price for our freedom so that we can have healthy relationships, so that we can show his love to the world. So if you are in a relationship that he has designed, a covenant that you've given to him, he can fill that covenant relationship with any emotion that you could ever dream of, that your heart could ever fathom. He can do that. It's not that you didn't, you married the wrong person, that you're not well suited for it. God can do work miracles in any covenant that he established. So just remember the second point of God is love. Well, it's so unique for us that, that really in any marriage and relationship is that when you hit conflict, oftentimes instead of leveraging the conflict to take you to a new place, to choose love, to choose intimacy, to grow in the relationship, the desire in us can, can be to fight to get back to an old place that felt fun, that felt easy, that yeah. felt flirty, that has feelings that you desire. Because in the moment of conflict and pain, it's like, God, punch me in the face. Like, let me do anything else but sit here in this mess, right? And so that that vision in that season was words from God of like, hey, we're not fighting to get back to an old place, but to go to a new place. And so the, the question then is, what does that look like in each of our lives? Like in your marriage, in your relationships, what does it look like to leverage conflict to go to a deeper place. John 13, 35 says it this way. Let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I have loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for one another. And so the important thing to note in that verse is in the same way I have loved you. We can't choose, we can't give something that we haven't received Ourself. And so it's important for each of us to wrestle down that truth that God is love in the same way that he spoke it to Katie that night as she laid in bed in the midst of her shame and personal pain that she heard this tender, loving voice of God. It's the same love that he has for each of us, that he so loved each of us that he laid his life down. Then we can go and give that other. We give that love. We can represent that to others. So the second truth principle for us is that God is love. The third is don't fight alone. Don't fight alone. So I, I think this is largely a, a male deal, but I had kind of grown up and nobody had ever told me this, but I felt like I needed to be the man and have the answers. Can any guys relate to that? I see some women shaking your heads like, yeah, Women thinks, just know we already like do that. have the answers. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, so, and so I just had this pressure on me as a husband, as a father, as a leader, as a professional that I needed to like be the man. I needed to be strong. I needed to do things right. I needed to be successful. And so when I hit seasons in marriage or at work where I didn't know what to do or I felt insecure, I would never voice that. Like I would take it to God in prayer, but I felt like it would be weak, uh, that I would look stupid, that people would think different about me. Well, in this season of marriage, when I realized I can't fix this, it was the first time in my life that, that really out of desperation, like I just realized if I get to the end of this road and Katie's not there by my side, then it's all been for naught. And so I was very open with, with all that we were walking through. Well, Katie and I joined a small group in that season with this uh, couple, Mac and Cindy. There was like five or six other couples in the group. And um, over the course of three or four weeks, literally every other couple dropped out. They either had a shift change, one of the spouses got deployed, 
kids started sports, something happened. And so it ended up being Katie and I and Mac and Cindy every Friday night from like 6 to 10. And we were in a season where Katie didn't trust my intentions. She thought maybe I'm just trying to win her or I didn't really mean the things that I said. But I realized at home throughout the week I was not going to be able to talk about the things that she did that made me angry or hurt me. And so Friday nights became the safe place where we would put all the stuff, just kind of air the frustrations of the week here with this other couple. And I couldn't speak truth to Katie very effectively in that season because she thought I was just trying to use it as a tool to win her back. But as we sat down with this other couple, man, there were so many nights where Cindy would just hold Katie's face and speak truth over her. But us being willing to navigate conflict in community not only brought about healing in our relationship and, and broadened the conversation, helped establish trust for the two of us, but it transformed me in that it was the first time. I don't know that I ever would have learned that or been able to apply that in my life had I not walked through that season to where now, because all that happened at Seacoast, I remember our very first weekend there at the church at the end of each service, similar to how we'll do today, that they band comes up and they lead us in another song where you just kind of sit in and process and reflect on what did you hear today and what, are, what am I supposed to do about it? And we walked up to the front and there was a pastor standing up front praying with people and I told him the two-minute version of our story and he said, hey, that's my story as well. And he pointed to his family sitting there on the front row and it was just the first place where our story was very much known. We were together, but we were, we were sharing it because I was largely trying to fight for and restore us. Well, after, you know, seven, eight months of being there, they said, hey, how would you feel about coming to work with children? And previously in ministry, I'd have been like, forget about it. Like, I'm, I got my own children's ministry at the house. <laughs> All these kids, like, I can't work with kids. But I thought I had been out of ministry. Like, I just thought that was an old thing that I used to do. But here now, to be in a place where I was fully known, like they knew the brokenness and pain of us for the church to then say like, hey, would you like to come serve here? It gave me a brand new start as a husband, as a father, but also as a, as a leader because I realized like, man, in my weakness, his power is made perfect. Yeah. When I'm vulnerable about the, the fears, the needs, the insecurities, the sin, the pain, it opens the door for the power and presence of God to come in and heal and restore and make things new. So in a very practical way, it changed everything about me and us. Yeah, it's so good. I think about, you know, oftentimes we know that if we don't have our finances together, we should get help with that or figure out a budget. If we, you know, don't have parenting, we don't understand parenting, we should get parenting help. I love even Encounter's website is like, parenting is hard. You know, let us give you some resources. Like, we can admit these. But oftentimes in relationships, we don't know how to move from places of survival to more security, you know, to places of thriving. And so it, it has become such an important part of our life to just be vulnerable and honest about what's not working. You know, not feel any shame about that. But to say, okay, we know God wants us to be here. How do we get there? Is there a couple doing this well? Is there a couple we could sit with? You would be so surprised in the church, in the body of Christ, that's what we're meant to do for each other is to say like, hey, I see this in y'all. How did you get this? And that's what Mac and Cindy did. Um, for us every single week. You know, they were not professionals, but we could see in them something that we knew we needed and wanted. James 5.16 says it this way. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, oftentimes we, we stop at confessing our sins to God 
And scripture tells us that he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all our sins, and he will do that. And man, there was so much time that I spent going to bringing that stuff to God, my anxiety, my sin, my insecurity, my stuff. I would give it to God, but healing and freedom comes in confessing it to others because it demands the humbling of ourselves, the opening up of what you're walking through and allows for some of those me too moments. For Katie, practically speaking, oftentimes she'll say something like, hey, can you handle me? Can you handle my 10? I'm about to give you my 10. And then that's, I know she's about to go somewhere, and it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> or I I'll say, I got to tell you something hard. Yeah. Just lay in the ground. She'll, give me, she'll give me a heads up. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. Yeah. So then the last truth that we learned is that new life is just around the corner. New life is just around the corner. Katie and I, shortly after we had moved to Charleston, uh, when she was still in the season of feeling like, I don't know that I love you anymore. I was unemployed and life was hard. And so I made probably one of the wisest decisions ever and bought my dream car uh, while I was unemployed. <laughs> and so we, uh, I found it. We needed a vehicle. We had talked about it. I feel it. like I could make a joke there about men always feeling like they needed to have the answers. <laughs> yeah, Women. Exactly. And so I found I it on eBay. It was in Scottsdale, Arizona. And so I thought, this is perfect. We get a one-way ticket to Arizona. If I can get her in a car with me for four days straight, she will definitely love me when we get back, right? So you can see where the equation breaks down here, all right? That's not a good plan. And so we, uh, we buy the car, fly out to Scottsdale. We're driving up to the Grand Canyon before making this epic, like, nonstop drive back because we had to have kids cared for. And so as we're driving up through the Grand Canyon, there was this portion of of the road where trees just towered on, on both sides of us. And one of the unfortunate things about Katie that I didn't remember in planning this epic road trip was that um, the car puts her to sleep. And so within moments, like, it's, it's amazing, like a baby in a minute, she's knocked out, drools, snoring, the whole deal. Hey. And so, oh, was that oversharing? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I did have to let her stop resting on my arm, though, just like, man, come on. Anyway, so, so we're driving through this stretch, towering trees on both sides, and we round this corner, and right as we do, the canyon, like, opens up. And so it goes from just trees and woods and forest to all of a sudden the most epic view you could imagine of the Grand Canyon. And in that moment, God spoke to me and said, that's how quickly your story can change. And I'm telling you, as soon as I, it wasn't like an audible voice, but as soon as he just deposited that in my heart, I just broke, like crying, because I really, each day, like you, you have hope in hard seasons that today things could change, today things could be different, but I was just so weary in walking this road of hoping God would restore and it not happening yet, that when he spoke that word into my heart, it was like, Oh, my gosh. And from that day on, man, every morning I woke up thinking, all right, is today going to be the day the landscape changes? Katie woke up from sleeping in the car like, what's wrong? What's, what's, what, what happened? What happened? You know? and, and I was like, oh, God just spoke to me. <laughs> you know? It could change so quick. So anyway. And sometimes the road to that can be exhausting, right? It can feel physically exhausting and challenging. 
to keep that hope, to believe. You know, last night at the women's night, I won't say any names, but she may be in this room, but we were sharing at our table about just Galatians 5. And Pastor Chris, somehow Galatians 5 got us to TikTok and some tricks, hacks we've learned on TikTok. It may have been had something to do with the leavened bread. We were trying to, you know, whatever. So anyways, we're on TikTok and we're talking about this and we've been sharing like our struggles, our struggles against our flesh. And all of a sudden she said, Listen, I'm just telling y'all, come summer, I'm going to be blooming. And like, I don't know. I have not stopped thinking about that. Come summer, I'm going to be blooming. And I've just held it because it's like you need that hope and that vision. And it can feel exhausting to get there. That just around the the corner, come summer, I'm going to be blooming. You know, like just around the corner, God can do so many miracles, but we have to be the ones to endure, right? To keep hope, to, to get that word from God and to cling to it, to have faith. That's, that gap is faith, right? That gap being um, faith is um, the assurance of hoping for what we do not see is what Hebrews tell it, tells us. So that gap is our faith. So I would just say in the path to just around the corner, when it feels exhausting, when you're not seeing any movement, when you feel that sense of desperation, that is your faith to hold and cling to that promise from God, to get that word from him. Yeah, James 1, 2 through 4 says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You have to consider it joy, knowing that it could very well stink and be painful and awful, but to be confident that if we will persevere, if we will stay, God will use even this to ensure that we are mature and complete, not lacking anything. So here's what I'd love for us to do. If you could just take a moment right where you are and and close your eyes for me. I just want to pray. For each of us, knowing that your story may not look anything like ours, uh, wherever you might be right now in your marriage or your, your life personally. But one thing that we can be assured of is that in this world, we will have trouble. But Jesus said, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so, God, we just want to pray right now that you would be present in the midst of our stories. Wherever we are, our stories are sacred. And I know there are seasons much like our story where I found myself, I found our family just in a dark place that I felt hopeless and desperately needed you, that you and your kindness by your grace showed up to heal and restore and not just take the thing that was the most precious to me to a new place, but to in the process transform me. So I pray for every person here today, anyone online, knowing that we're going to walk through hard times, some of which are brought about because we have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, some of which are brought about because of our own foolish decisions and sin. But I'm thankful that you are good regardless, that whether it's our fault or because of the enemy, that you love us, that you pursue us, that you forgive us, that your plans for us are good. And so I just speak maturity. I speak wholeness, healing, completeness over every person, that you would empower them to consider hard times, pure joy, knowing that out of your kindness and goodness, you will use them to grow us. And so I'm, I praise you, God. feel like just for having a mic to thank you yet again for the work that you did in our hearts, for the work that you did in our marriage, and just pray that you would do the same in the lives of those here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Encounter Church, thank you so much.